Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Nolan Bignall. Robert Zirk is on vacation this week. On today's show, we'll speak with Jay Abeng. On today's show, we'll speak with Jay Abeng, director at Storefront Manitoba, to talk about the 7th Annual Winnipeg Design Festival that's happening next month. We're going to learn about what's happening at the festival, as well as some cool gardens that you can visit as the summer slowly dwindles away. Then we'll sit down with Brian Wood, co-chair of Canada's largest lantern festival, Lights of the North, that's opening this weekend. We'll get a sneak peek into the festival and share with you what you can expect. Then we'll be joined by Susan Algie and Mary Kay Gruel from the Winnipeg Architecture Foundation. They're going to be joining us to talk about the foundation and its upcoming events that take a closer look at local architecture and design. And last but not least, for this week's River City 360 road trip, we're going to be taking you to Saint-Pierre-Jolie to speak with Roland Gagné. He's a fourth-generation Saint-Pierre-Jolie resident, and he's the current president of Saint-Pierre-Jolie Museum. We've got all this, some great tunes, and much, much more on today's episode of River City 360. Hello and welcome to River City 360. My name is Nolan Bicknell. Here with you as always, well, as almost always, unless I'm away, as my partner in crime, Robert Zirk, is. We wish him all the best on his vacation. Hope he's enjoying himself, relaxing in the fun in the sun. Who knows what, he, what he's up to, but... Uh, we're going we're gonna to see him next week on the show, or maybe Sonny Permolo will join us. We haven't really even figured it out yet, but we'll get that sorted for you. All I do know is today's show is really cool. Uh, Robert actually submitted a story before he went. Uh, he spoke with a couple people from the Winnipeg Architecture Foundation. Uh, Sonny sat down with someone the co-chair from Canada's largest lantern festival, and that's going to be pretty cool to talk to. But up first, we've got Jaya Ben. She is the director at Storefront Manitoba. She's on her way into the studio, and we're going to be talking about the 7th Annual Winnipeg Design Festival. The festival's happening next month at the end of September, I think September 26th to 29th, and uh, we're going to learn all about what's happening and all just the cool things you can see when it comes to design and architecture and everything that has to do with those things here in Winnipeg. And since we're going to be talking about design, how about Kenny Rogers with new design? We always kick things off with some music, so no one better than Mr. Kenny Rogers right here on River City 360. Overseas two days ago I hope she doesn't have to find another Some say things are never gonna change Others say they're gonna get better Me, I'm standing in the rain Waiting for a change in the weather I'm not saying how I think it should be All I'm saying is it don't look right to me I'm gonna try to find A new design I'm gonna try to find A new design So many different ways to go Standing at the crossroads of my life Side roads, travel on the high roads, walking to the left and kicking at the right. Make up your mind, boy, what's it gonna be? Everybody's waiting to know who. 
Are you gonna stay or are you gonna leave? Do you think there's someplace left to go? I'm not saying how I think it should be. All I'm saying is, it don't look right to me. I'm gonna try to find a new design. I'm gonna try to find a new design. I'm gonna try to find a new design. for listening to River City 360. My name is Nolan Bicknell, and I'm now joined in studio by Jaya Ben. She is a director at Storefront Manitoba. Jaya, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So uh, maybe let's get started by just sort of explaining to people the role that Storefront Manitoba plays here in Winnipeg. Like what, what, what all do you guys do and what role do you take uh, when it comes to design and when it comes to planning and everything in, in Winnipeg? So we are a local uh, arts and design advocacy organization. So we try to celebrate uh, and promote awareness around topics related to design, architecture, um, and loosely related fields. And we do this through uh, tours, uh, lectures, installations in the public. So anything from our fundraiser in the spring, uh, Table for 1200 More, which you may have stumbled upon. I was actually there. It was great. Did yeah. you enjoy the it was evening? One, absolutely wonderful, yeah. And anywhere from that to in the fall, we have the Winnipeg Design Festival, uh, which is coming up at the end of September. That's right. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, what is sort of the end goal? Like, what's the, what's the, what's the, purpose what's the what's the goal what do you want people to walk away with after they encounter storefront manitoba we want to highlight how central design is to uh, everybody's lives uh, you, you know they say that 99% of design is invisible you may my favorite podcast by roman mars um, and so most people aren't aware of how much design is part of uh, it, it is everywhere it is for everyone and how good design um, really enriches our lives and so we want to encourage um, good design in the community and bring attention to the fact that it's there so we're just talking kind of walking paths and how cities are set up and how patios look like that, all sorts of design or what specific things does... Well, design is the buildings that we live and work in. Design is the the products that we purchase. Design is the clothing that we wear. Design is the layout of the streets in our city. Uh, it's everywhere. Yeah, for sure. One of the cool designs that was all throughout the city were the was the Cool Gardens project that store, that you guys uh, I think partnered with the Forks to sort of present to the city. Tell us a little bit about that and what the intention was for for the Cool Gardens. So this is the sixth year of the Cool Gardens installations, and we um, do a competition and receive entries uh, internationally from artists and architects, um, and usually there are a couple of invited artists. It's so kind of like the warming huts, right? Or like the inverse of the warming huts, I yeah, guess. Yeah, we do yeah. see it as um, uh, the counterpoint of that, and it was also inspired by um, a Quebec project, the Jardin de Métis, that had okay, these cool. uh, art, 
art and design installations around the park. And so, yeah, challenging designers in this um, extreme climate, extreme cold yeah. and extreme heat. Uh, how do we think about the idea of, of cool? So whether that's, you know, temperature or just really neat. Yeah, for sure. So what were some of the noteworthy gardens that you saw or that were uh, submitted this year? So this year we have seven of them. Uh, three of them were new and four of them were returning. Uh, so there's a floating flowers installation near the west end of the Esplanade Riel by Noel uh, Pickupper and Hugo Bertrand. Um, Is that the mirrors? Um, it, it was these um, like fantastic melting flowers. Oh, cool. Um, okay. And then um, you're talking about Bend, which okay. was from last year by uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Marc Boutin Architectural Collaborative. Um, and that's on the other side right. of okay, the Esplanade. Cool. Cool. Um, and so that's, yeah, this sea of mirrors that reflects the sky. Very cool. Yeah, co very cool. Very apropos for sure. Um what is what are you hoping people take away when they sort of experience those cool designs when they walk through the cool gardens? Well, like what's the intention for mo I, I, I guess each um, person probably has their own intention as an artist and as a designer. But what what do you hope that sort of the public takes away from these installations? It, it is an attempt to en engage the public, um, to attract them to the area, to occupy public space, um, and also to contemplate questions around design and the relationship of nature and design and how we bring nature into the city, especially for the Cool Gardens project. For sure. Very cool. I assume a lot of these topics will be discussed at the uh, Winnipeg Design Festival, the seventh annual, taking place September 26th to 29th. Let's talk about that a little bit. Um, for people who are n new to the design world or don't really maybe um, understand its importance, what can they expect uh, at the Winnipeg Design Festival coming up in about a month? So the design festival covers a little bit of everything. So there are some more um, traditional design events. Um, the One of the key events of this year's design festival is a talk by Richard Florida at mm -hmm. the Winnipeg um, Art Gallery on September 27th. Uh, but then we have just a lot of uh, events that we are trying to make super accessible to the public. Um, uh, the type of thing that anybody could stumble upon as they're walking by. So uh, connected to Cool Gardens, there will be a bike tour on the afternoon of September 29th at 2.30 p.m. And there will be um, projections the night of September 29th. Uh, there will be work by Lawrence Bird, a uh, local uh, architect, planner, designer, artist, um, <laughs> on the pedestrian bridge at the, the Forks. Uh, but there will, uh, some of the events are, are yet to be determined oh, as well. Sure. There will be um, assorted uh, lectures and tours and other installations. We have a, a design competition. Uh, the uh, contributors have been challenged to, uh, on a fairly tight budget and in a very small space. Very size, Winnipeg, very Winnipeg. Yeah, a size of a parking pad. They have to create um, these uh, engaging interactive installations and those will be on display on the roof of the Forks Parkade the night oh, of cool. the 29th. Awesome. Um, and uh, the night of the 29th is also Nuit Blanche, which I'm oh, sure nice. many the people kickoff, are yeah. familiar 
familiar with. Uh, so this year we're trying to bring the Winnipeg Design Festival in line with uh, both Culture Days, which is a um, three-day uh, event across the province, and Nuit Blanche, which is the evening of the 29th. How has this festival grown over the last seven years, and, and how has it changed from, pro- I would assume, relatively humble beginnings to now? You're, you're you know, on top of the forks, and you're huge. I, I'd say takes on a very different character every year mm-hmm. uh, because we invite um, different curators to do the event um, and they all contribute um, something new and unique so uh, each year the venue changes somewhat so we've had it in the exchange for a couple of years and it's been at the forks for a couple of years and uh, yeah the nature of the competitions the nature of the speakers um, it really transforms every year you mentioned Richard Florida what are you personally looking forward to most out of uh, everything that's happening on the on the uh, on the three days September 26th to 29th Oh, that's a good question. I, I'm going to be uh, manning a bar nano booth on the, the roof of the Forks Parkade. Oh, cool. And so we're envisioning how we're going to create that. Um, yeah, it's a mini uh, pop-up bar um, with uh, basic drinks available, all transported to site on a bicycle. Oh. And so we're thinking of uh, how we're going to animate that and have a little bit of fun with that. that so that's probably cool. what I'm most looking very to. cool so where can if this sounds like something someone would want to participate in does it cost anything where can people find out more information the vast majority of events are uh, free to the public um, one of the exceptions I believe the only exception is the Richard Florida mm-hmm. talk which is ten dollars for students and twenty five dollars for general public but um, everything else is free uh, the main place to get information would be the Winnipeg Design Festival website but I would also also encourage everybody to follow both Storefront Manitoba and Winnipeg Design Festival on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. All those good things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, thank you very much for talking to us today. We're going to be talking a lot about the festival in the coming month as a little preview to Richard, Florida and to everything like that. So stay tuned to the show for all sorts of good stuff coming up. But uh, Jaya Benj, really appreciate your time. You are one of the directors at Storefront Manitoba. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Thank you again to Jaya Benj for speaking with us today. As we mentioned, if you'd like more information about the Winnipeg Design Festival or tickets to see uh, Mr. Richard Florida speak, you can go to Winnipeg Design Festival, all one word, dot net, not dot com, dot net, Winnipeg Design Festival, dot net. Coming up next, we're going to hear from... One design festival to Canada's largest lantern festival called Lights of the North that's actually opening up this weekend. Sonny Promolo is bringing us a sneak peek of what to expect at this very unique and interesting event. But before we get to that, lanterns, lights, here's Party Lights by Claudine Clark, way back from 1962, right here on RC360.
Hello and welcome back to River City 360. I'm Sonny Promolo and with me today is Brian Wood, co-chair for Lights of the North. Thank you for coming to the show. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's a beautiful day. For those who don't know, 2018 is the Canada-China Year of Tourism and the 30th anniversary of the twinning of Winnipeg and Chengdu. Why Winnipeg and Chengdu? Well, Winnipeg and Chengdu started back in 1988 when Dorothy Doby was first chairwoman of the Winnipeg Chamber. And they took a delegation to Chengdu to um, see if we could get pandas. Dr. Du was involved, Philip Lee was involved in a lot of the Chinese community. And they basically did a deal bringing giant pandas to our Cinnaboyne Park Zoo uh, in 1989. And what we did was we sent them polar bears. Nobody knew about that. It was under the radar. But Dr. Du had a special relationship, having worked in the North with the people of the North, and they gave him two very beautiful polar bears to send to Chengdu. I hear you played a pretty important part with the pandas being here. Can you explain that? I was the kind of the general manager. My job was to make sure that the exhibit uh, was managed properly. We did all kinds of promotion around here in, uh, in Manitoba, northwest Ontario, throughout the south into the U.S., we had a Panda Express bus that we sent around with people to do all kinds of neat stuff. We also had school programs at the zoo, and we had breakfast with the pandas, which was kind of interesting. To celebrate the Canada-China Year of Tourism and the 30th anniversary, Winnipeg will be home to Lights of the North, which is Canada's largest lantern festival and apparently the first one of its kind here in Canada. Could you tell us what to expect? Yes, uh, well, you can expect to walk through 36,000 square meters of space, all lit up with LED lights, and exhibits made out of uh, light and fabric, with the lights showing through the fabric. We'll have the Museum of Human Rights. We'll have the, the legislature with a huge waterfall behind it. We have Winnie the Pooh. We have lots of dinosaurs. We have a labyrinth. When you walk through the labyrinth, all you young kids out there, you're going to have a hoot. You're going to have so much fun when the dinosaurs are chasing you through Jurassic Park. It's going to be really cool. Along with the dinosaurs and the light fixtures, uh, there's also going to be performance artists uh, from Chengdu. Uh, what kind of performances can we expect to see? Well, the performances are going to be spectacular. We're going to have face changers. Chinese face changers are unique to Chengdu. We're also going to have acrobats. We're going to have singing. We're going to have uh, you know a lot of portrayal of uh, some of the unique uh, activities that they do in China for song and dance. And we're also going to have cuisine. We're going to have chefs here from Chengdu with Sichuan food, which is going to knock your socks off. It's going to be absolutely unbelievable. What I really, really like about this whole festival is that they add a little bit of a local flavor. You were mentioning earlier the CMHR and the legislative. Uh, what was the inspiration behind having some of this local artistry. We wanted to make it unique to Manitoba and we have some very very interesting facilities here that need to be showcased and we also have our dinosaur from Winkler that we have a replica made and that's going to be pretty cool and we have lots of pandas to commemorate our 1989 exhibit and I guess the other uh, aspect of it is that one of the major sites will be Winnie the Pooh and we're also going to have a exhibit with CN with the Canadian National and uh, our oil fields out in the west part of the province and the prairies. We're going to showcase all of the important things uh, about Manitoba. Can you explain just how large this is going to be? I hear that there's this large China dragon. Like, how big are all these fixtures? The fixtures, like the uh, Temple of Heaven, which is a part of the Chinese exhibit, uh, is four stories high. 
The um, legislature and the waterfall behind it, huge. We also have a polar bear filled with 100,000, the fur is 100,000 ping pong balls. And the dragon is 200 feet long, made out of Chinese ceramic. Many of us have seen it. The blue cups and saucers and plates, it'll be all lit up. With it being so large, how long did it take to construct all of this? Well, we started working on this project, thinking about it, putting it together, the ideas, three years ago. And it came to fruition a little over a year ago. Our mayor decided, hey, let's renew our relationship with Chengdu. I'm in favor of it. And off we went. And the exhibit is going to run around $4 million. No public money. Zero. You actually have a whole bunch of artisans coming in from China just for this event, am I correct? That's correct, and some of them are here already. It's interactive from what I hear. Oh, you bet. Oh, yeah. We were going to have animated dinosaurs. You know, we're going to have little scooters that kids can ride around on that are dinosaurs. We have lit up swings. We have areas where young people can dance around and turn on the lights. We have another area where they're going to be able to make a dinosaur with light pegs. It's not just for adults. It's going to have a real strong young person component as well. Fun for the whole family. You have that fun for the whole family. Come and get great food, see some spectacular performances, and uh, it's a good day trip. Walking over 10 acres of lit up space in the evening, uh, especially in the fall, it's beautiful here. You're going to find it very spectacular. For those that are interested in coming, where can they purchase the tickets? Well, there are a couple of places they can purchase tickets, mainly online. Go to lightsofthenorth.ca, and you can purchase your ticket there. Or you can come 1600 Ness. It's right near Polo Park. Our office is here on the third floor, and it's $25. Can you purchase tickets at the gate? Yes, but we're preferring people do it online. It'll make it much smoother, because if you're going to purchase at the gate, you're going to have to wait. Where will the actual exhibit be located? It's going to be located at the Red River X. Uh, we have a huge structure when you come in to the West Gate. Uh, the times are 4 to 11 on the weekends and 6 to 11 during the week. Lights of the North will be held from August 31st to October 14th, and it should be a really great time. Before I let you go, though, Brian, is there anything else that you would like to add? Well, it, it's such a spectacular uh, first event of its kind in Canada. Uh, we're celebrating our Canada-China Tourism Agreement initiative that was started by the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau. So we're very excited about that, and we're looking at doing it every two years. The themes will change, and you got to come and see it. It's going to be a once-in-a-lifetime activity. I know I'll be there, and I hope to see everyone else. Again, thank you, Brian Wood, for coming down and speaking with me on River City 360. You have yourself a wonderful day. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Sunny. Coming up next, uh, Robert submitted a story of his conversation with Susan Algie and Mary Kay Gruel from the Winnipeg Architecture Foundation. They've got some cool events that are looking at arch- architecture and design in our city, and you don't want to miss it. Uh, but before we get to that, here's a little bit of music. Old Blue Eyes, Frank Sinatra with The Way You Look Tonight, right here on RC360. When the world is cold I will feel a glow Just thinking of you And the way you look tonight 
Yes, you're lovely With your smile so warm And your cheeks so soft There is nothing for me But to love you And the way you look tonight With each word Your tenderness grows Tearing my fear Back to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today, and I'm now joined by Susan Algy and Marika Gruel. They are the executive director and architectural researcher and curator, respectively, of the Winnipeg Architecture Foundation. Susan, Marika, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for thank having you for us. inviting us. So, Susan, I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit, first and foremost, about the Winnipeg Architecture Foundation. For maybe our listeners who aren't familiar with the foundation, tell us a little bit about it and, uh, and what it does. The Winnipeg Architecture Foundation uh, began actually in 1996, and uh, we conduct uh, research on buildings, landscapes, designers in Winnipeg, and then we use that research to um, produce uh, tours, exhibits, books, and other public programs to educate people about architecture. And we particularly concentrate on the um, post-World War II, 1945 on, so the modernist era, and then contemporary architecture. Why is it important, do you think, for Winnipeggers to have this sort of understanding of architecture in our built environment? Well, uh, our architecture is uh, so interesting because it affects all of us every day. Um, whether it's a school, a church, the shop that you go into, 
somebody came up with the design and there was a reason behind it. And so we're trying to make people uh, more knowledgeable about the buildings and landscapes that they see. And I think if they're knowledgeable, then they demand better and they appreciate what we have. And here in Winnipeg, we are extremely fortunate to have great representation from both the uh, more historic period right through the 20th century to contemporary. We have wonderful architecture from each of those periods and uh, I think some of the best collections in the country. And one of the things that stood out to me um, just browsing the website is that there's so many resources and digital artifacts that are available just through the Winnipeg Architecture Foundation website. I'm thinking of the places section where you could type in almost any street name and and surely something will come (laughs) up and you'll be like, wow, like what a cool story about something in my own, you know, that's close to me in my neighborhood. And and that's uh, really part of our intent. The website, which is really easy to remember because it's winnipegarchitecture.ca. It's very fluid. We're adding to it all the time as we do additional research. And I think one of the things that we want people to understand through the website and then the tours that we do, they don't all have to be the superstar buildings. In fact, appreciating the, the smaller buildings, walking through a suburb and realizing that somebody may have come up with a design for these houses and here's the story behind it, that's equally important. Absolutely. And the Architecture Foundation hosts uh, a lot of events and exhibits as well. And uh, Marika, you're curating an exhibit that's coming up on September 7th, sort of a follow-up to a recent tour that was done in Niaqua Park. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, um, so the Niaqua Park exhibit, it's opening for First Fridays at 7 p.m. And it'll showcase this unique subdivision. The subdivision was designed by a U of M School of Architecture uh, graduate, Nicola Zunik. Uh, He graduated in 1950, and he had a role in designing this whole subdivision, so it's quite unique. We have some really great material that we'll be showing in the exhibit from uh, original plans of specific homes to the original subdivision plan. Um, and then we have some lots of fun little facts about the, the various homes. And it will have an activity. Uh, folks can come and color some of these homes. Uh, so it's, all, it's friendly for all ages. Yeah. Wonderful. Another event that's coming up on September 10th, you'd be hard-pressed to find a Winnipegger that doesn't have an opinion about Portage and Maine, especially now with sort of the debate ramping up. But there's a, a tour that you're hosting called Highs and Lows, a tour around Portage and Maine. Tell us a little bit about what people can expect when they go on that tour. We just want to take people for a walk around Portage and Maine, and we'll tell them a bit of the history and about the architecture of the various buildings we see both the older towers and the more contemporary ones, and a bit of history of the intersection itself. And I think that there are many people who have not actually walked it. They may work nearby, they may travel through it, they form their opinions based on many things, but they haven't actually just taken a walk and had a look. And so that's the intent of this tour. We'll be viewing the towers and learning about them, but we'll also have to find our way through the underground. And I think that um, that might be uh, an eye-opener for some people. So uh, we're not doing the tour particularly stating an opinion, although I think it'll be kind of (laughs) (laughs) perhaps obvious. Uh, It's it's such an important intersection to the city and, in fact, to the country. 
And so we just want to give people a closer up look at it. And I think that's really important for a lot of people to experience the other side of things if, if they haven't. Because if you look at the, the history of Portage in Maine, it used to really be a, a more vibrant hub. And it's like, okay, why has, since the barricades have come up, why has that dissipated and Mm -hmm. so it'll be interesting if people haven't really been down there recently to get a sense of the experience and and maybe see things from a different angle that they may not have considered before exactly right so it's just an opportunity to uh to get people out looking up and in this case looking down also uh and learning some of the stories behind uh the buildings that we're seeing and the, uh, the Architecture Foundation is involved with a few film screenings that are happening throughout the month of September. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, some of the screenings that are coming up? Sure. So um, we run an annual Architecture and Design Film Festival. And as well, we have an Architecture and Film Series that we run through the year. So on the 8th of uh, September, we'll be showing Design Canada at Cinematheque. That's a brand new film, really, really interesting about really the design history in Canada, uh, whether it's graphic design, product design, and so forth. Very, very interesting film. And then on the 14th of uh, September at the public library, we'll have a free screening of The Human Scale. And that really is uh, strongly influenced by the the writings and philosophy of uh, a fellow from Denmark, Jan Gale. His influence has been felt through a lot of um, more recent uh, active transportation planning and so on. And we're showing that because on the 19th of September, Jan Gale will be here in Winnipeg. Okay, so a good way to get introduced to some of those ideas Mm -hmm. in advance of that. And of course, September 29th is Nuit Blanche. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Architecture Foundation is hosting a a pop-up exhibition that is about shipping container architecture and within a shipping container (laughs) itself. Tell us a little bit more about that and and what are some of the interesting things about shipping container architecture that people may not know about? Yeah, well, um, it'll be quite fun because this time people can actually walk in to a shipping container and see how they've been used in a variety of examples from like here in Winnipeg, the the pop-up washrooms or the washrooms at Assiniboine Park, for example. Um, You might be familiar, those use shipping containers. But then they'll also see how architects are using shipping containers around the world from student housing to individual homes. There are quite an array of examples. And it's, it's interesting, there are various opinions. So this will be a great way to just showcase how how shipping containers are used and uh, and then folks can kind of do some more research and make their own opinions. <laughs> so lots of events, as you can tell, uh, going on that are hosted by the Winnipeg Architecture Foundation. A lot of interesting events surrounding the topics of architecture in our city and, and design as well. If any of our listeners are interested in learning more about the foundation or any of those upcoming events, where can they go to get more information? Um, uh, the simplest thing is to go to our website, winnipegarchitecture.ca. Uh, you'll be able to find research, resources, etc. And if you click on the tab marked events, you'll find all the variety of events that we have coming up, including some additional exhibits we haven't discussed. And we add to that on an ongoing basis. Great. And is there a phone number that people can reach you at as well? They can call 960-8097. Excellent. 
So again, the uh, website address is winnipegarchitecture.ca. Uh, Susan Algie is the executive director of the Winnipeg Architecture Foundation, and Marika Gruel is the architectural researcher and curator at the Winnipeg Architecture Foundation. Susan, Marika, thank you both again for speaking about all these great events and the foundation here on River City 360. Thanks, Robert. Thanks. Thanks, Robert. Coming up next is the RC360 Road Trip. We've been doing it all summer long, and this week we are taking you to St. Pierre Joli Museum. If you've ever been to Festival de Voyageurs, you've probably tried some of the authentic maple syrup or, or maple candies uh, or those beaver tails, and, and St. Pierre Joli is actually where some of this maple syrup comes from. So we're going to speak with their president, Roland Gagné, after our next musical break. But before we get to that, Here's uh, Ed Bickert with Street of Dreams right here on RC360.
Welcome to the River City 360 Road Trip. Today we're heading out to St. Pierre Jolie, Manitoba, where we visited the St. Pierre Jolie Museum. Let's go. My name is Roland Gagné. I'm fourth generation St. Pierre Jolie. I'm a volunteer here at the St. Pierre Jolie Museum. And right now I'm holding the spot of president, but I'm sure somebody will be taking it soon. So Roland, just maybe describe for us, uh, we just kind of went on a tour of the St. Pierre Jolie Museum and grounds and just describe what people can expect to find when they, when they first come here. Well, first of all, is that St. Pierre Jolie and the DeSalberry municipality, this is the grounds of the Métis for wintering. And it's the Rat River Métis that, uh, that established themselves here. And that's how St. Pierre Jolie became into existence, as well as the parish of St. Malo and the small communities of Otterburn, Cary, Dufrost, etc. And you just kind of took us for a tour through the sugar shack and everything. That's probably what people would most recognize if they go to uh, if they go to Festival du Voyageur. Tell us how that all got started about 30 years ago. Sure. Well, first of all, a lot of people didn't know that the sugar shack in, in, in at the Festival du Voyageur during the winter is belongs to the uh, to the Museum of Saint Pierre Jolie. Way back when, 30 years ago, is that um, the theme to try to pay off the mortgage was that let's get uh, a, a traditional Quebec sugar, uh, sugaring off festival happening to try to raise money to pay off the mortgage. And then we were invited to the Festival du Voyageur, and that's how it all started. This is kind of a, a, a very important part of Manitoba's origin, original settlement and everything like that. Why is it important to keep those stories alive as you uh, kind of tell these stories, as you, as you walk through the grounds here? It's, um, nowadays, it's just too, um, it's too easy to forget, like, where are we from and why are we here in, on this land in Winnipeg and in Manitoba? Um, the Métis, of course, uh, wouldn't have been able to survive without the Aboriginals. So if you take a look at the partnership that they had, you know, with uh, Fort uh, Douglas and uh, Fort uh, the Northwest Company, is that without the help of the local people back then and their generosity, we would have never have been able to live on this land. And for here, the on the Rat River, which was the wintering grounds for the Métis from St. Norbert, St. Boniface and St. Vital, uh, it was a spot of uh, beauty and abundance, not only in animals for food, but also for uh, woods, etc. And uh, it's important to keep that history alive. You said you were a fourth generationer from from this area. What has changed over over your lifetime, and what has stayed the same that you, that you're glad is still similar? Well, over here, we're lucky enough that I grew up in a small French outside Quebec. Franco-Manitoban community and we've been able to hold our own in regards to keeping our language and our religion uh, freely without any concerns without any worries about um, you know people criticizing or anything um, throughout that I've throughout my existence is that we've seen a lot of commuters move here but they're moving because they want their children to come to the French school or to the bilingual school and to be able to learn that second language. And we see there's a lot of new faces in town, but we still have those original families that are here. And how, how is it 
it's kind of a unique blend of old and new. You know, there's new people coming in, but there's still the traditions here. How do you think that that, uh, that combination lends itself to the sort of uh, the ongoing prosperity of the, of the town? Well, that's, uh, you know, that's a, that's a really good point because what we need to do for the, for the new arrivals is that we almost have to uh, explain to them that how important it is to become part of the community and to support your community and to shop local as much as you can. We can't prevent the shopping local because of the prices at uh, Sobe and Walmart and all this. But what they can do, they can expand their, you know, their shopping by an extra 10% here in town. And that's going to make a difference because it creates jobs and also it creates businesses that we can use because otherwise the businesses are going to close. And a community as well. I think that's kind of a, it's almost like a national trend now. People are starting to understand the value of buying local and the importance of sort of the neighborly connection when, you know, you sell sell me your goods and I'll sell you mine and we'll kind of create a little community here. And it's kind of, you, you feel that when you're, when you're around here. That's right. And that's exactly what we hope. And, and that's why, like, no matter what, like I've done lots of traveling throughout throughout my business career and whenever I'd go to a small town I usually I'd have a meal there I'd fill up there I'd always do something to just to leave a few tracks of dollars in that small community and if and if more people would do that the more healthier of an environment we would be so when people come to Saint Pierre Jolie Museum what's something that surprises you about how they react to the to the grounds and to the exhibits and to everything that they see they would never they would never know from the street that we've got this green park and beautiful environment in the back here you know from our historical metis house to our our um, our um, our maple tree uh, sanctuary that we're creating and then after the little bit of history that we're trying to keep of businesses pass and of course our sugaring off and being able to make our own uh, our own maple syrup there's a lot to do here. There's there's a there's a lot to do. But the crowing trail, it's an amazing trail, and we have people from across the world that will come in and they will follow this trail. As crazy as it seems, uh, during the winter we have Epic. It's a cycling bice- uh, bicycle race, and last year I think they had over 200 participants from across the world. I mean, it's a little piece of Canadian history when you walk down the path and think about the different people who literally traveled there bringing their buffalo pelts and bringing their supplies to and fro Winnipeg and, and back. Well, I guess it wasn't even Winnipeg at that time. It was St. Norbert and St. Boniface and stuff. Um, we, we mentioned the, um, the maple tree sanctuary that was just um, planted. What are you hoping that this whole grounds is like when those are at their 30 feet height like what do you what do you what do you see in the next 25 years for for uh, St. Pierre Jolie well definitely the maple maple syrup will be flowing uh, but again w- once those canopies are established it's going to be just another park like grounds to be able to you know to be able to come and relax and to enjoy uh, we also have like we're looking at a butterfly sanctuary now and you know we're just looking on the eco side as well as the you know and it's not money generating because it's hard to you know to make money when you the products are 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 not high in value but it's just that it's the enjoyment it's the quality of life that they're going to offer is going to be amazing here in St. Pierre-Jolie. It's not necessarily for a profit it's just to sustain just to be able to survive. Because otherwise if we would have lost the convent and this 3 acre partial that's in the middle of town that's a it's a it's a green green park 
is that it would have went to private grounds and, and the people wouldn't be able to use it the way they do now. So for those of us listening in Winnipeg who have maybe never been out this way, what would you tell them as far as a little sales pitch of like, come on down and check things out? Well, first of all, is that we've got the best thrift store in Manitoba. Uh, our thrift store that we have is all volunteer-based, and last year they gave back to the community in excess of $115,000. So it's all grant-driven based on values that will help people. And I know the thrift store, they helped us last year with our major project as well as the Winnipeg Foundation, And is that without those helps, we wouldn't be able to keep these small-town museums alive. And that's the whole idea behind it. So if you're a thrifter, if you like that small town, a little bit slower, a little quieter, come on down for sure. Is there any events coming up that you'd like to tell people about that are happening in the next couple months? Yes, yeah, there is. Uh, actually, we're going to have a corn roast uh, this September. And what it is, it's a historical corn roast and everything is based through, through uh, on the theme of the Rat River Métis. And the Goulet House is open and we've got fiddlers and we've got fresh corn. And it's a free event that's excellent for the family. And it's the weekend of, I think it's uh, September 18th, I think. But it'll be on our website. I'll make sure it's on the website. So you can go to, the, if you Google the Musée Saint-Pierre-Jolie, Saint-Pierre-Jolie Museum, you'll be able to find it and uh, you'll get the dates. And it's just a nice free event. Uh, you know, it's just for a few hours and it's worthwhile to come down to our community. Come on down, experience good old-fashioned community and uh, just get a little slice of comfortable life, I guess. Roland, thank you very much for uh, joining us today and taking us on its tour and everything that you've uh, taught us today about St. Pierre-Jolie. Well, thank you so much for coming to visit us. And now you know that you're officially invited anytime to our to our sanctuary here down south, uh, 35 miles south on Highway 59. Thanks. Thanks for coming on the RC360 Road Trip. We'll see you next week, same time, different place. What a wonderful road trip that was out to St. Pierre-Jolie, Manitoba. I had never been there before, and thanks again to Roland for taking us on a tour, showing us all around, and being an exceptional host. It was really cool to uh, to learn all about that little part of Manitoba. Uh, we've got some more music right here on RC360 before we say goodbye to you today. So here's uh, Charles Gerhardt with Where or When right here on RC360.
Thank you for listening to River City 360. Nolan Bicknell with you here today. You may have heard some radio spots on uh, CJNU from my uh, partner in crime, Robert Zirk, talking about causes and the Winnipeg Foundation. And I just wanted to kind of mention that they've recently changed the way that the foundation is uh, is doing business, basically. It's all focusing on different causes. There are six causes that are launching, and they've also launched the Find Your Because uh, campaign, which is really cool to see. It's different people from all walks of life all over our city who have chosen a cause to support and they're telling us why they support that cause. And that's really what it's all about. If you're in the philanthropic sector, you really are passionate about a cause that you may feel strongly about. And that's what the foundation is here to do. We're here to connect you with, uh, with the causes that you care about and being able to find the organizations that are doing good work here in our city and supporting those causes. So if you uh, want to find out more information, you can visit findyourbecause.org. That's findyourbecause.org. That's a wrap on this week's episode of River City 360. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and a huge thank you to all of our guests for talking to us as well. If you'd like to hear more River City 360, listen to any of the past episodes that we've done over the last three years, or subscribe to the podcast, you can do so at rivercity360.org. Again, that's rivercity360.org. River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg, is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with CJNU 93.7 FM. We'd love to hear your feedback about the show as well. If you want to uh, suggest a song or a topic, request a a song that you maybe haven't heard in a while, or even suggest a museum and archive that we should visit for the road trip, give us a call at 204-944-9474. Extension 360. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook by searching at RiverCity360 on Twitter or typing in RiverCity360 on the top of Facebook as well. I'm Nolan Bicknell signing off for RiverCity360. We'll see you next week. Have a wonderful weekend and uh, have a great day. Bye-bye.